Hello and welcome to this episode of the podcast. This has been a long time coming, and the reason for that is I've had some audio issues on my end with the beginning of this episode. For the first, oh, I'm not sure, the first several minutes or so, my mic was not recording, so I had to switch to a secondary microphone. Uh, luckily, we were still able to capture Mimi's answers and um, her side of our conversation very well. So what I've decided to do is kind of interject in the empty spaces and explain uh, either what the question was or what the topic of discussion was for the first few minutes, and then the actual discussion will begin at about the seven or eight minute mark. So if that sounds like something you can tolerate, then go ahead and do that. But if not, feel free to jump ahead. In the description, I'll have the actual um, timestamp to show you exactly where to jump to if you'd rather skip to the back and forth discussion portion of the podcast. Thank you for understanding, and I hope you enjoy. This was a lot of fun, and I hope to have Mimi back on again in the future. Mimi Pettibone, a.k.a. The Dream Detective, specializes in dream psychology and dream interpretation. She has a podcast, a website. You can follow her on Instagram. All these links will be in the description below. Stay tuned for an interesting conversation on the psychology of dreams, the significance of symbolic representation, and telepathic communication. Here we're about to discuss Mimi Pettibone's podcast. Yes, I'd love to. It's uh, Mind, Body, Spirit, and Dreams is what I'm calling it. It's sort of the general topic. So some of the shows will just feature dreams. In fact, the third episode features all dreams about babies. There's 15 dreams, which is a lot. And other shows will have different themes for different types of dreams. And then yet other episodes, which will be a majority of them, will, will be interviews with thought leaders in the mind, body, spirit field. Everything from psychology to parapsychology to relationships to um, health and healing, things like that. Sure. Well, you know, ever since I was little, I was really fascinated by what do these dreams mean? They must mean something, but I had no idea what or how to find out. And then when I was in college, of course, I was the one always talking about, oh, you guys, I had the weirdest dream last night. <laughs> so everybody kind of knew me as the person who was interested in dreams. And one of my roommates heard that there was a dream group through the school, sort of a non-for-credit extracurricular activity. So I joined it. And I was fascinated. It was my first introduction really to any kind of self-help. Before that, honestly, I thought it was kind of poppycock. <laughs> any kind of Well, there is a formula that was created by a guy named Montag Ullman around the 1960s where one person tells a dream and the other members of the group take turns saying, if it were my dream, you know, that kitten would represent my inner child. And someone else might say, if it were my dream, that kitten reminds me of my allergies to cats. And I don't like kittens, you know. Um, so everybody is basically projecting their own meaning, but taking ownership of their projecting. And nobody's saying your dream means you should take more vitamin C or your dream means you should you know, go to therapy with your mom, nothing like that, because nobody's claiming to be the authority on anyone else's dream. We're just all projecting. But through that process, the dreamer gets some amazing insights that they might not have really otherwise. And all the other group members, even though it's not their dream, because we share one dream at a time, 
they get insights into their life because through that kind of holographic projection process, we're all getting insights into our own psyche as being human. Here I asked Mimi if her specialization involved more personal one-on-one sessions or a kind of a group session that she had mentioned before. Actually, no. Individual, right. Individual dream work is very, very different in, because I am trained in dream work. And so in a group, nobody needs any training. But in one-on-one, I have many different tools. And the bottom line is I'm trying to help the dreamer get at what does this mean for you? So we might look at associations or I might play, you know, do some interview questions. Like if I came from another planet and I had no idea, what is a frog? What would you tell me? How would you describe it? And it seems obvious. Well, of course, you know, a frog is this green thing, but how one person describes it and how another person describes it, kind of like I was talking with a kitten example, one person might say, oh, well, you know, I had a pet frog when I was little and it was the most meaningful thing to me. And I just love frogs and they remind me of new life and childhood. Whereas someone else might say, oh, I love escargot. And to me, it's about fine dining. And someone else might think they might have a phobia against frogs. So what does it mean to them? Because the dreaming mind thinks in pictures, images, and associations. So usually if we dream about our friend Fred, it's probably not really about him. I mean, sometimes it might be about our relationship with him. But it's often about what do we associate with that person? And then we find out what that connects to in our waking life. So most of the dreams, the elements in dreams are symbolic rather than literal, usually, not including the paranormal things. One example would be an after-death communication dream. So if somebody loses a loved one, they might have a dream that the loved one comes to visit them and sits on their bed and the dreamer can smell their perfume or cologne. The loved one will usually say something like, I want you to know how much I love you. Or maybe they might say, I'm sorry if there's something in the regular life that they had to you know, that they wanted to apologize for. But it's always a positive message with an underlying intention of love. And there are many different markers that set apart those dreams, such as they feel very real, they feel vivid. Again, we might smell them. They often happen in the bedroom, though they can happen anywhere. Um, Where most dreams, we don't dream that we're in our bed and someone comes to visit us. So that type of dream is not symbolic. That, to me, I believe that's a real experience. Was that an idea that you had to warm up to? Or early on, was that something that you were interested in in as well, was the paranormal aspect of dreams? Well, I've had psychic dreams since I was very small. So it didn't take much warming up to be. Because I I experienced it firsthand way too many times. Right, that makes sense. You had some really interesting dreams yourself, and that was what kind of piqued your interest in the first place. Exactly. So one of the the questions I wanted to ask you um, was why do we dream? But it sounds like based on the context, based on um, the purpose of that dream, that, that question can have a lot of answers. You're so right, exactly. So... Nobody knows for sure why. I mean, I guess to me, it's kind of like saying, why do we love? I mean, you could say, oh, procreation and population of the species and whatever. But why we dream, you know, from a scientific perspective, they'll say it's to consolidate learning and process our experiences throughout the day. 
from a spiritual perspective, it might be to connect with our soul, which I believe is also very valid. I believe that our dreams are showing us the way to our best life and where things are not working from a very objective perspective. Even though the stories can be very dramatic, they're trying to get our attention. But And, and then again, from the spiritual perspective of having... Um, let's say somebody has a precognitive dream that a tornado is mm-hmm. coming and they decide, I don't want to be here. I'm going to go to a different town or state and they avoid the tornado. Or actually, this is very common with planes, with airplanes. And so people will get a bad feeling about a flight. In fact, there are statistics that are kind of kept hush, but What's implied is that the flights that end up crashing, the number of empty seats is a lot higher than on most airplane bookings. Like we have this kind of ununderstood um, intuition that there's danger ahead. Right. And I don't think everybody is consciously saying, oh, my gosh, I had a dream the plane crashed, so I'm not going to go. I think for some people it's just a feeling they can't even explain Or maybe subconsciously they made themselves late and they're not even consciously aware of what's happening. You hear that a lot um, regarding 9-11 as well. Mm, Where a lot of people were um, just happened to be late to work that day. Yeah, that makes sense. Or or happened to miss their flight. That is interesting. I think that's interesting given that um, our kind of natural state when we don't understand things around us is apprehensiveness, is fear, or is intuition that there could be danger around any corner. And that in some way, like this is just us being more in touch with that at certain moments or in touch with them either consciously or or unconsciously uh, through dreams. I think that's fascinating. I also, I completely agree with you that dreams aren't just... um, a biological necessity as far as where they come from and that love really can't be either because I was, I was thinking about this earlier. That's why I say this. Uh, I was thinking about ideas and about thoughts and how the materialist worldview breaks down thoughts as chemical reactions and processes in the brain, but a thought an idea can transverse that and be written down. And when it's written down, even if no one's thinking that idea, it's still an idea. And I think the same can be said for dreams. They are a standalone thing because even though they're happening in your brain, if you're able to remember them and tell them to someone else or write them down or something like that, then the dream itself takes on its own life. It, it becomes completely separate from your, the chemical processes in your brain. So I agree that they they are kind of their own thing, their own world in that sense. Right. And if you're familiar with the research on consciousness regarding people who have been pronounced clinically dead, say on an operating table. So there's actual documentation that they literally died. And then later they resuscitate the person and the person describes every single word the surgeon and their assistants were saying they might have floated down the hallway we're talking about the time during Mm -hmm. their death they their consciousness may have floated down the hallway and seen something up high on a shelf that they could describe that nobody else could have known was there and so there's so many stories like this that lead us to well believe that consciousness transcends the physical body and so i believe that dreaming is more in line with our consciousness than just like you said a bunch of chemical 
synapses and reactions. Right, for sure. Um, and I don't want to I, – I wanted to ask you what are some common themes in dreams, but I also don't want to encourage anyone at home to self-diagnose at all. But as, as someone who has uh, been in this practice for a while, who's been trained in this, um, what are some common themes or common issues or common projections uh, that, that you come across when people are in that state or that you think people have a lot of trouble with on average or something that you've struggled with in the past? Sure. One of the most common dreams around the world in all different cultures is that of being chased. And it, it doesn't matter. It could be a monster. It could be a lion. It could be your boss. It could be an unknown shadowy figure. But the bottom line is being chased. And there are theories that this may date back to our ancestors when survival of the species did depend a lot on running from predators. And so nowadays when our fight or flight stress response gets triggered, the stress could be not a saber-toothed tiger, but it could be money problems or health issues or relationship problems. And our adrenal system kicks in and we go into that state of fight or flight and we dream that something is chasing us because the original association with the fight or flight mechanism in the body was usually when we were actually chased. So that's a theory right. behind that. In the real world, outside of dreams and in the physical world, um, our fight or flight instinct is triggered often, but it's in a much more moderated and abstract way that it's not us running away from a predator. Like you said, it's us struggling with financial issues or marital issues or something like that. That is a lot harder for us to immediately comprehend and contend with because we can't just run away from it or fight it. Right. And because we're not having that physical release that we would have from actually running that's how chronic stress builds up and con contributes to a lot of chronic illnesses and things like that. And even animals in the wild, like Joe Dispenza talks about, if um, a deer gets startled by a predator and they, they might go into the freeze because that's a fight, flight, or freeze, they afterwards, assuming they make it alive, the animal will kind of do a shake and a shiver with their body, and that is releasing that stress response, whereas humans don't necessarily Sometimes do that. I want to. <laughs> yeah, get, yes. So finding ways to let it out of our body is really good and really Right, important. or when you get like random chills during the day and then you just kind of shake a little bit, you know. Maybe you've had a rough day and at the end of the day you're just like, ooh, that was a hard one. <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah. do the dreams themselves in that scenario serve as a release of stress or does the dream itself become a symbol of like, Hey buddy, you might want to get this sorted out. Um, I could see a little bit of, of both there potentially, but I wanted to get your take on that. I think it can be either. I think it's probably more often the latter right. <laughs> in terms of, Hey buddy, you need to pay attention to this because if they always sorted it out for us, we would wake up feeling relaxed and like everything's fine or worked out. But, you know, the stressful dreams can cause us to wake up and feel pretty stressed out about it. But that is getting our attention to do something about it, which is their purpose. Right. So our, our bad dreams or nightmares always stress related, mostly stress related, or are there other common causes or, um, other like extreme cases or anything like that? I think usually it is 
probably stress, mm. but there can be other causes. It could be a bad reaction to a food or a um, prescription drug or a non-prescription drug or something like that. Also, children between certain ages, it is more common to have nightmares. It's almost like a developmental thing that they go through. And then um, aside from stress, there are things like... Uh, Sorry, please edit this. Okay. <laughs> no, it's all good. I do it all the time. What was I going to say? Okay, good. Give me a second. What is it? Use the nightmare. Okay. Aside from stress, there are some forms of nightmare that are PTSD related. And the way to know the difference is if somebody has a traumatic experience, and I'm not just talking about war soldiers, which is how we've come to know PTSD, but now they're understanding this could be any kind of trauma that any person goes through. And if their dream is reenacting the trauma in various forms, but it's more of a realistic react, uh, reenact, re, reenactment. Word? Thank you. Please edit that too. But it's more of a realistic reenactment in the dream than sort of a metaphor, which it can have metaphors too. But if it's more kind of realistic and each dream is just reliving that and it's not evolving over time, that's a PTSD dream. Yeah. Whereas a sign that the mind is healing or the psyche is healing is, let's say somebody has a car accident and then they dream, they have nightmares that they're going through that accident again. But then, you know, a couple of weeks later, the dream evolves and the accident's less severe. And then another week or two goes by and just there's no set time on this. I'm just using that mm -hmm. as an example. And then they dream that, you know, they're in a bumper car and it gently hits their car. And then over time, it, do you see how it evolves to where the impact is less and the damage is less? That is a sign that the person is evolving in their healing whereas PTSD is almost like we're stuck in that trauma and those types of dreams when they're reenacting it and not evolving are a reflection of that so that's just an example of how nightmares can be caused by different right. things as far as the PTSD dream being the same thing over and over again often I feel like I've experienced the exact opposite of that in the past in which one dream very much builds on another. It's not a variation of the same dream, but it's like a story with episodes almost sometimes. Is there any kind of science behind what the reason for that might be or what causes that kind of thinking? Because that's only happened to me twice, but, and I wasn't going to ask about this, but since you mentioned the PTSD dream being kind of the inverse of that, I was very curious. You know, I have never come across any research on that, but it is something I hear anecdotally a lot from a number of people that it's almost like a TV show where they're where, you know, you watch one episode and then the next one picks up where it left off. Some people even dreams they have dream they have whole other lives in another country or another world where they have maybe they're single in this life here and they have a dream that they live in France and they have a family and a partner and and each dream picks up where the last left off. So I do hear that a lot, but I have not heard any research. Mine about was it. not to that extent. That sounds almost stressful in of itself. <laughs> like I, w I wonder what my dream <laughs> wife's doing right now, you know? <laughs> like what's going on in that world? <laughs> 
some of the people I hear from, they usually love it. They almost talk about it like this treasured thing that they just now, love. Would that usually be like a lucid dream, though? Because if I was out of control of that, I feel like it could go very wrong very quickly. But if it was a lucid dream, then, then I think I would be fine. I think I could handle it. Yeah, so a lucid dream is when the conscious mind comes online during the dreaming process. Normally, dreaming happens more in the subconscious right. mind or the limbic kind of part of the brain. And the conscious mind goes offline. And so we're not thinking rationally. We're not thinking logically. That's why a lot of people will report that things like numbers and letters or trying to read a clock or a page from a book or a newspaper will become very warped or they can't remember it when they wake up. It's because that logical part of the brain is offline. But being lucid means the logical part of the brain is coming online and we are aware of the fact that we're dreaming. So when a lot of people try to learn this intentionally, some people stumble onto it. But when they try to do it, a lot of times they wake up because their conscious mind is coming online so much. Right. So to answer your question, the only way that lucid dreaming would have anything to do with it was would be if they were aware of the fact that they were dreaming, which doesn't mean that they would change their mind about how they feel about it. If they were living an alternate life in another country, even if they became lucid during that dream, they might still love it versus you know, and doesn't mean that they would love it or hate it just because they're right. Lucid. I think that's, I'm just saying, I think that's the only way I could handle it. If I, if I, if I, if I no. was, if I was lucid <laughs> dreaming, otherwise uh, it would get a little, it would get a little too surreal for me, you know? <laughs> yeah, um, so I want to back up a little bit because you mentioned that one thing that can cause nightmares that can impact people's state when they're dreaming is uh, biological factors like uh, food, not just stress, but like what they've eaten or some kind of medication they've taken. I feel like that's where people with a more materialistic worldview than you and I have are going to come in and say, well, see, this is why dreams are only uh, chemical synapses in the brain and they can't mean anything outside of that. So I wanted to know kind of what your response to uh, that presentation would be, because I know that's where those comments are going to come in. I see. Yeah. Well, to me, it's more holistic because what happens with the body is intertwined with the mind. So if, you know, if that weren't the case, taking LSD would have no effect right. on the body. <laughs> so taking a physical, tangible, chemical substance can affect the mind. And, you know, for those of us that are into mind, body, spirit, consciousness, it's it makes sense. But if they want to break it down into the physical, you know, I respect all belief systems. They're entitled to their opinion. And, um, but to me, it, it definitely, they're all connected and each one is only a part of the right. Picture. Each one is kind of an interplay with the other. That's kind of how I see it too. It's exactly. one is bound to have an impact on the other. Like the more you take care of your body, uh, the more clearly you're able to think most of the time. And that's absolutely biological, but the thoughts themselves and the dreams themselves are to some degree completely outside of that. It's just right. the mind has to produce right. those. Even Right. Yes. And and I don't know why this is coming to mind, but things like marijuana actually suppress the REM dream state. So a lot of people who smoke a lot of pot or use a lot of that kind of product, they will actually stop remembering their dreams because they're not actually having as many. 
So if they stop suddenly, they get what's called REM rebound because the body is making up for lost time, so to speak, in terms of, hey, we haven't done this. Let's get the REM cycle back online and they'll have way more dreams that are really bizarre and really crazy and really intense. So there's another example of this sort of chemical um, interplay between the mind and the body. I have a friend who I was going to ask uh, you about um, who doesn't really have dreams. And that makes a lot of sense. (laughs) (laughs) Without Without saying saying anymore, that makes a a lot of sense. It was cool how that kind of naturally came up. I actually struggle a lot with, uh, with remembering my dreams. I feel like that's a common thing, but I can hardly ever remember a dream enough to share it with someone or write it down, regardless of the fact that I have them. Is there any reason for that or way that I might be able to improve that skill? Yes, there are a few things here. So for one, different people are just wired differently. Some people are naturally wired to be what we call thinner boundaried. And that means they're really intuitive, really creative, and they probably remember a lot of dreams. It doesn't mean that you're not creative or intuitive by any means, but this is just kind of one end of the rainbow, so to speak. And then there's people with thicker boundaries who are like, everything is black or white and yes or no, and this is how it fits in my reality. Mm. And they are not as impressionable by other people's opinions or energies or things like that that would be the thicker boundary person. So, you know, and in between, there's the majority of people. But we can also train ourselves to remember our dreams by, first of all, setting the intention at night before we go to sleep, saying something like, I would like to remember my dreams tonight. Writing it down can help. And then keeping something by your bed, whether it's a pen and paper or a recording device, to where as soon as you wake up, you capture whatever it is that's coming to your mind. So it might be a little fragment of a dream, which is amazing that we can actually work with that interpretively and usually get something valuable from it, even though most people say, oh, that was just a little part of a dream. That's not worth anything. Actually, no, we can get a lot of gold Mm, from that. That's fascinating. So, yeah. So making the intention and actually recording it as soon as you wake up because the longer we wait the more it slips away from the conscious mind because it's happening in a different brainwave state so the beta brain waves are the really high level of thinking when we're conscious and awake maybe doing a math problem or having an intellectual conversation then the alpha brain waves are more like hey i'm relaxed i'm chilling out i'm watching a tv show or just kind of in that chilled right. out state And yeah, and then the the brainwaves go lower and lower as we go into the deeper stages of sleep. And a lot of people just assume that dreaming happens in the deepest stage of sleep, but actually that's where hardly any dreaming takes place. And it's when we're in the alpha or kind of theta state, we all always have all the brainwaves going on at all the time. It's which one is predominant. So when we're in that alpha brainwave state, we're the closest to being awake because there's so much mind activity going on when we're dreaming. <clears throat> we're engaging more with it. So, naturally, um, more information's coming in. We're having to process more. We're creating more more thought processes. That makes sense to me, more elements in the dream. 
Right. And so if you're someone who wakes up and immediately snaps into the beta brainwave of, oh, I got to do this today and I'm going to do that and I'm going to go make my breakfast and take a shower and da 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 and what's my to-do list, then you're not staying in that alpha brainwave state. So we're less likely to remember it versus oh, I've had a lot of massage therapists tell me that as soon as people lay down on the table and get into that alpha brainwave state, they start going, oh my gosh, I had this dream last night. And that's because they're in the same brainwave state. So if you want to remember your dreams when you wake up, see if you can stay in that sort of hypnotic kind of twilight state. That will help to access the dream recall. Now, that, that's interesting because I do like to meditate in the morning for about 15 minutes after after I wake up. And I've been, been considering moving that to the evening um, just so I can kind of help myself wind down before bed. But... Could that potentially be helpful as a, as a process? It's kind of a new thing that I've been doing over the course of the past couple of weeks. Could that be helpful in helping me remember uh, my dreams? Is that something you would recommend to people? Absolutely. Meditation is great for facilitating dream recall and also intuition. That's interesting. I can see that. I don't know that I've been more intuitive, but it's only been a week. I could see that being a, uh, a consequence. Yes. You're more in tune with the reality of your circumstances because you're separating yourself from them in meditation and trying to assess things um, from a perspective that's more objective than maybe your natural engagement with the world would be when you're awake. Right. And I think it also gets us in touch with whether you want to call it our higher self, our consciousness, our true self, rather than that mind chatter and those shoulds and those sort of indoctrinated path beliefs that are really voices from other people, it gets us more in touch with our own inner right. voice. Meditation has also made me realize how much of my day, how much of my mental space throughout the day is filled with like sayings or songs or things I've read or things I've seen that are stuck in my head that I'm not really thinking myself consciously that are just kind of on repeat or playing in some degree just in the background of my mind. And with meditation, you don't have that. You get rid of that. Well, that's really interesting because especially the songs. So I do believe some of us can be a bit like an antenna and pick up stuff that's in the airways, so mm -hmm. to speak. So maybe you're picking up a song from somewhere else. But with the songs, what you might want to do is just look up the lyrics, even if you think that you don't know them. Um, whether you have this during waking, like we're talking about, or a lot of times, a lot of us will wake up with a song on our mind, like we were sort of hearing it as we were asleep. And I swear every single time I do this, the lyrics are very relevant to what's going on with me at the time. Even when I think I only know the main chorus, the one line that's like the title of the song, and I if you held a gun to my head, I could not recite the whole lyrics to that song. But somehow the subconscious mind picks up those things, even though consciously we don't think we know them. So if you if you have a song going through your mind, whether it's during the day or when you're sleeping and you wake up with it on your mind, look up the lyrics and see how they might apply to what's going on in your life at the time. It's pretty fascinating. That makes sense. I've definitely seen a correlation between the song being stuck in my head and like the situation I'm in or how I'm acting. But I always saw it as a cause and effect, like the song being stuck in my head is affecting uh, how I'm acting or what's going on around me in some way because of how it's changing, maybe how I talk or how I carry myself. But 
it, I could be both. That makes a lot of sense. Um, you mentioned that you believe people are in some ways antennas and that our brain waves can pick up on radio waves. I wanted to, or I may have worded that poorly, but I wanted to ask you to elaborate on that more. Um, when I was in, I want to say it was my first year of high school, I had a science teacher who mentioned that, but then I never heard about it from anyone ever again. So that just kind of sparked a little bit of nostalgia for me, and I wanted to ask you for more elaboration or explanation or maybe how you came to find out about that or how you came to that conclusion. Yeah, I don't know how much we're if we're actually picking up the actual radio waves or if it's more of a telepathic or precognitive kind of thing. Like I've had a song going through my head and then I turn on the radio and that song is playing. So that could be another reason for this song going through someone's mind that, that for, for that example. But um yeah, I, that one is a tricky one in terms of is it that we're telepathically picking it up or is it that we're actually picking up the radio signal but when you get into things like remote viewing which is more visual but it's the same idea that something you know they say the government actually uses where people anyone can actually train themselves to basically have their mind go to a certain location and see what's there so, you know, if you look into the idea of remote viewing, to me, it's the same idea only with sounds instead of right. visuals. Right. So to you, it's purely in intuition. It's not that, – that makes a lot of sense. I don't know. It, it could be that we're picking up the actual radio waves. I, I don't really know the answer to that one, and, and that would be a good thing to look into. I'm not sure if there's any research on that or experiments. Yeah, somebody's probably done an experiment, Yeah. I know about more about the telepathy type of experiments rather than um, like we, they'd have two people in different rooms in what they call a Faraday chamber. One of them is in what they call a Faraday chamber, which won't let any, um, I think it's electromagnetic waves come through. And they'll have one person focus their mind. They'll give them a, a topic or subject to think about and intentionally send that thought to the receiver in the other room in the Faraday chamber. And what they found is the closer the emotional connection between the people, the more likely the receiver will pick up what the other person is sending. And what do you mean yeah. send the thought? How do they send the thought? Um, I guess it's mostly intention. So if you were the sender, you would be told to imagine that you are sending this thought to the other person and you could do that in any way that feels right for you. There have been dream studies like this too where they had the receiver would be sleeping and dreaming and a lab attendant would be watching their eyes to see when they're in the REM dream state. And another person who's designated as the sender is given a picture in an envelope. And it could be, let's say it's a person riding a horse. So the sender might look at that picture and just really study the picture. They might physically go through the motions of imagining, you know, the, like they're riding a horse, like kind of moving up and down as if, if they were on the horse. They might imagine the smell, just using all the different senses to engage that experience and intend sending it to the sleeping study person. And then... When they, when the lab people see that the the receiver is in the REM dream state, meaning that their eyes are moving back and forth, they wake them up and say, "What were you dreaming about?" But that lab person has no idea what 
the subject was that was to be sent. And then they have a third party interpret the results to match up, you know, which, which images match up with which dreams. And they were statistically way above chance. Some of them were just dead on exact and others were a little more symbolic, which is how dreams and intuition and psychic impressions tend to come. They can be all literal or, or very symbolic or a mixture of the two. Right. I think we generally, like we as people, don't spend a lot of time being that intentional about any level of thought when we're awake because we're always distracted by something that's catching our attention. We're always pursuing some outside goal. We're not usually just thinking about something. I think that's a lot of the value of meditation. I think that's a lot of what's happening there is recognizing and demonstrating the actual power of human cognition and, and, and intuition and our relationships uh, with each other when they're Absolutely. completely distraction free. Oh, I so agree with that. And different people are at different levels with that, of course. So some people, they dedicate their lives to it and others don't have a clue and don't want to have anything to do with it. But I absolutely agree. Meditation very much facilitates that. On that note, uh, different people having different levels. I have a roommate who says his dreams are pretty much always easy for him to understand. And he shared some of them with me. I don't remember any specifically off the top of my head well enough to explain them right now or give a, a decent example. Um, but I think he's right. I cannot relate to that at all. So are some people naturally better at understanding their dreams already? Like I don't need to be um, an interpreter, but are there ways for me to get better at understanding my dreams when I wake up or, or uh, understanding um, maybe common themes that I might be dealing with? Yeah, I think people that are more inclined to metaphors, like someone who's a writer or a poet, I don't know what your roommate does, but somebody who has that kind of mind that is able to see metaphors, a lot of therapists are really good at that. Um, and again, it's a skill that can be learned. Those kind of people might really feel like they have a pretty good sense for what their dreams are telling them. Now, that said, some people are like, oh, I dreamed about my boss, therefore um, I'm stressed about work and I know what that means. Well, maybe that's what it means. Or maybe there's a deeper layer that if they really explored it through the metaphors and the symbolism and associations and speak as the character of their boss and things like that, they might get a whole nother layer that's even more profound. So it's, it's very individual. Right. Right. It could just be that it needs to be taken a level deeper. You said speak as the character of the boss. Are you suggesting that we should act out our dreams in order to um, understand them more deeply if we're struggling with that or act out the dialogue if we can remember it? It's definitely one way of exploring a dream. I it's think yeah, and, and it's one thing to reenact the dialogue of a dream, but it's another to, this is where working with another person is very helpful. So if you said, I had a dream about my boss, one way to explore it might be to have you pretend that you're the boss, and I might ask you questions like, so who are you? What do you like? What do you dislike? What are you about? What do you think of Joshua, you know, what are you doing? What are you up to these days? Just any kind of questions that help us get at what this character is about can help us understand the dream and maybe a hidden part of the dreamer that they didn't realize was coming into play in their waking life. 
So I believe in something called parts, which is that we all have many different parts within us. It's not the same as dissociative identity disorder, which used to be called multiple personality disorder, because in the disorder, a person doesn't realize when they're slipping into one personality and becoming another. So they, one personality part goes on a shopping binge and they come home and they go, who bought all these clothes? (laughs) They, They have no idea that they're switching versus most of us. Yeah. We have our different parts. Right. If I, if the spending part of me goes, out shopping then I come home maybe the more responsible adult part of me goes uh oh what did I do (laughs) but I know that it was me that went shopping we just recognize the process and the differences exactly and that's where meditation can get us into that higher consciousness which is more objective which is more the spirit or the soul I believe that is or just consciousness which is not so much tied into the um, ego state of the personality. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I'm kind of going on a tangent here. No, I like I, I like this tangent. Okay, good, good. So I believe that those different parts of ourselves can show up as different characters in a dream, even sometimes the settings or animals, inanimate objects, and having a person speak as that character or object or setting can be the most profound thing in the world. That's the where the tears come out. Not to sound, uh, make it sound not fun, but it's where the really profound, a lot of really profound work happens. Right now, not everybody is so inclined for it. Some people they just can't really go there, and they're they're like, "But I'm not that couch. I don't. I'm can't. I don't know what the couch does." And other people will really take to it. So that's one of those things where working with a dream client, you have to kind of feel out what is this person like and are they open to this and and you know use different techniques with different people and even with different types of dreams they'll call for different different styles of working mm-hmm. that but acting that out is it, one of my favorites oh it sounds it sounds like it would be a blast you know as as hard as it can be it'd be it'd be challenging but stimulating and like you said potentially very 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 beneficial that itself seems like a form of theatrical meditation to me in the sense that you're trying to get in touch with you're not directly trying to get in touch with a, for, a sense of higher self, something that reigns over the uh, different personalities and different egos that you might be um, inhibiting that might be within you. But it's more of getting in touch with empathy, truly recognizing something else for what it is or what it can be rather than how it is when you interact with it. And uh, within that, I wanted to ask you, when people have other people or characters in their dreams – is it safe to say, because I don't know how to present this so much as a question, um, but is it safe to say that sometimes those are people, quote unquote, and sometimes those are very symbolic characters of something entirely different? And that when you encounter someone that you're familiar with in a dream, a character that maybe you're familiar with and they're very different or very, uh, whether that be a positive or a negative thing, it's more or less a manifestation of something completely outside of who that person might be in your life. Um, is there a, a range to that? Am I even right in making that distinction? I think it is a good distinction. I, and I also believe that, yes, often it's part of our own psyche. <clears throat> but sometimes, you know, your friend Bob in your dream and your interaction with him might be an actual reflection of your relationship with Bob. 
Now that said, looking at Bob and the energies he represents as a part of yourself can still be a fascinating exploration, even if it's really kind of seems more about your relationship with him as a person, because we all have all the qualities within us. And so how we interact with another person is a reflection of how we hold those energies within ourselves. Right. That so makes looking sense. at him as a part of you either way can be very valuable. And even in the real world when we're awake, you know, in our in our wakeful I keep saying in the real world, and that's not what I mean. I mean when we're awake. Um, but when we're awake, we often engage with people in a similar way. We we engage with people as if they're um parts of ourselves or, or parts of our lives explicitly and nothing else. Does that make sense? Yeah, and how we hold relationship to various energies, such as if I am completely disconnected from my own assertiveness or authority, then I'm going to interact with somebody who acts very assertive and authoritarian in a very different way than if I embrace that energy within myself. And our dreams will reflect that as well. Mm -hmm, for sure. Um, not to take a 180, but I wanted to ask you another question that is kind of unrelated to this. You said that at the beginning, this all kind of started with you recognizing your own um, strange dreams, these kind of things that you didn't understand, but that had significance in your life, in the world around you, that had an impact on you in, in some profound ways. What are, if you don't mind me asking, um, maybe some of the most profound or most interesting dreams that you had or stories that accompanied one or what are some of the weirdest experiences you've had kind of in that niche of your life? Well, gosh, there's so many. I'll tell you a recent one, which I okay. think is a good example. So back in January, I had a dream that I lived in a house that is not where I actually live, but I, I was living in this house and I had just moved in and I was sort of setting up house and I look out the window and there's a man and he is walking up to the house. I can see him and he's dressed in some kind of uniform, like a utility company or something like that. But somehow I know just magically know that he's an imposter, that he doesn't really work for this utility company. And he comes up to the door and wants to come in and I start screaming no go away we're we don't want any or or something like that but I was just yelling at him and I went around quickly making sure all the windows were locked and all the doors were locked and I was just very very adamant about not letting him in but he was trying to break in so I wake up and it's 6 a.m and my heart is pounding which for me is what I call a tell I've learned at least in the last handful of years, over the years, the tells have been different for me. But every time I wake up with my heart pounding, it's one of, quote, those dreams. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and at the time, you know, I was pretty shaken up by it. And I didn't consciously think, even me, who loves working with dreams and, you know, does so much with them. I'm just in that kind of panic state and I'm not thinking, oh, is this a psychic dream? But I'm just laying there and my heart's pounding and I'm thinking, okay, everything's fine. No one's broken into your home. You're fine. You're safe. Just calm down. And, you know, normally even if I wake up from a bit of a stressful dream, I can kind of calm myself down. But I, it just, my heart would not stop pounding really hard like that. 
And I had turned the sound on my cell phone off when I was sleeping. But after a while of laying there like that, maybe 20 minutes, I decided, all right, I need to distract myself. I'm going to just look at my phone and see what's going on in Instagram or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I see that I have a text. And I... And so I, I look at the text, and it's I live in a building um, with a parking garage at the, underneath at the bottom of the building where, where I keep my car. And there was a text from the property manager saying, I'm really sorry to tell you, but it looks like your car's been broken into. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. And I looked at the time on the text, and it came in right at 6 a.m., right when I had woken up from the dream. Oh, that's crazy. I'm glad yeah. that you're that you're providing an example of this and something that's so recent because that is profound. It's that person <laughs> should not be there, and they're there, and they're doing something they shouldn't be doing. And if you right. were there, you would have been yelling at them to go away. <laughs> yeah, and maybe psychically, I was. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, and so that is a good example of how, whether it comes in a dream or or a waking um, impression, let's call it they can be symbolic. So the house was a substitute for the car because they're both sort of spaces that are sort of your own that we, you know, connect with a lot that are very personal. Mm -hmm. And the energy of the dream was somebody invading and stealing. And they did. They stole uh, quite a significant amount of dollar amount of stuff. So um, there are tons and tons of stories out there of people who have these kinds of again whether it's a waking impression or a dream where some things might be changed but the basic components are the same because that's how the intuitive and the dreaming mind work by that association i think that's a great example of that process too something that um that didn't involve necessarily a direct interaction between two people any kind of uh intuition-based subconscious or unconscious or, or maybe very conscious but unspoken dialogue but rather you uh, reacting unconsciously uh, in your dream to danger to a situation that was outside of you but that very much was affecting you uh, in the physical world um, I think that that is a good note to kind of transition into my final and uh, perhaps most important question for you, Mimi Pettibone. <laughs> well, thank you. Can I just add one thing? Because that was great what you just said. Yes. Is that those kinds of psychic experiences often happen when survival is at hand, whether that's life or death or, you know, property stolen or things that feel like a threat mm -hmm. or even pregnancy and birth and things like that. Life, new life and 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 threats to our existence. So science is actually now validating any kind of what they call psi, which is spelled PSI phenomena as a survival mechanism of the species. Wow. Do you think that's something that's unique to people or do you think that maybe there's, there's some level of that in different animals that we don't understand? That's something that I've always been curious about. If we have that heightened sense of intuition, is it specific to us? Oh, I think it's even higher in animals. In fact, there's a book called Dogs Who Know When Their Owners Are Coming Home by Rupert Sheldrake. And he did studies where, actually, I'm not sure if he did them or if they, someone else did, but um, they put a dog in, in the home, you know, if, if a person has a dog, and they put a video camera there. And they send the owner out with 
with instructions that you can't come home until we tell you when you're going to come home. So the owner doesn't know ahead of time when they can come home. And then all of a sudden they tell them, all right, you can go home now. And as soon as, no matter how far away they are, as soon as the pet owner knows that they are on their way home, the dog goes and sits by the door. Wow. And that's actually been studied. <laughs> that's crazy. I have a, I have a friend who's, um, she specializes in animal assisted therapy. And I, I wonder if she's heard about any of that. I need, I need to, I need to text her at some point and, and let her know, Hey, your dog's smarter <laughs> than you, Stephanie. <laughs> well, and with horses too, they found if you are on a trail and the trail comes to a Y, if you just picture, I want to go left, you picture going in the direction of left, the horse will know. Oh my gosh. Stephanie loves horses. She's going to freak out oh. when I tell her. Yeah, she's gonna, she's gonna love that book. <laughs> <laughs> she 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 rides horses. She's gonna um, she's gonna be riding her horse, and she's gonna just be thinking so hard about going left, trying to test it out. <laughs> okay, are you ready for the final question? I am ready. What is your favorite breakfast food, and why? <laughs> oh my gosh! Can I say what it used to be? <laughs> if it used to be something, it now is something else, right? No, I don't really have a favorite one right now. Okay, you can tell me the story of what used, it used to be. Okay, I used to have this chocolate protein shake, and they don't make it anymore. But it was chocolate, and it had all kinds of amino acids and things, and I would mix it with, you know, coconut milk or whatever kind of alternative milk and mm -hmm. blend it up. And it was just so delicious and creamy and chocolatey, and I just loved having that every morning. <laughs> That is the worst thing when they when they get rid of a, a protein shake. I drink protein shakes pretty consistently, and there are so many different kinds, but each one is very different from the other, it seems like. So when one isn't available anymore, it's a big deal. You know, I've been it doing is. this for, for a couple months now, and I've got to transition to something that should be exactly the same, but definitely is not the same thing. Right, right. But I, I liked that one. Okay. Awesome. Mimi, thank you for coming on. Check out Mimi's podcast, thedreamdetective.com slash podcast. That's the URL, right, Mimi? That's it. Okay. Thanks. Awesome. Thank you for coming on. I've enjoyed this conversation a lot. Sorry I interrupted your thanks just to thank you again. You can say thank you now if you'd like to. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. It's been very great. You've asked some very interesting questions too. You've answered them in ways unexpected, interesting, intellectually stimulating, all of the above. Thank you so much for coming on. This was great. Hopefully we can talk again sometime in the future. I would love that. Thank you.